On this retreat, we'll be um, studying, practicing, listening to, and seeing for ourselves the um, development of mind through the instructions offered by uh, Mahasi Sayadaw. And as I mentioned, Mahasi Sayadaw was a Burmese monk of the last century who uh, was both a scholar and an extraordinary practitioner and uh, became well known by offering the teachings to laymen and laywomen, householders like ourselves. And prior to that time, if you'd wanted to receive very detailed uh, teachings in the Dharma, uh, it, you'd most likely you'd have to ordain as a monk or nun uh, for many years if not for life. And so it was Mahasi Sayadaw that really made it possible for we in the West now to hear the teachings uh, as lay people and practice them and to, to find them as the very pragmatic, uh, practical, uh, effective psychological tool that, that it really is. So I want to um, begin this retreat by reviewing uh, the admonition that Mahasi Sayadaw offered to students and those who came to his meditation center to uh, hear the teachings and to practice them as he taught. So I'm just going to read it first and then I'm going to make some comments about some of what he says. He says, it is generosity that one can rely on for one's happiness and wealth and insurance against lowliness. Living in harmony too is a real refuge in that it makes one lovely, charming, and free from rebirth in the lower worlds. Avoid evil, do good, and purify your mind. This is the teachings of all the Buddhas. Let there be only a few things that you attend to, a few words that you say, and a few hours that you spend sleeping. Love solitude. Be docile. And seek good friends. These are the six factors contributing to good dhammas. Constant mindfulness leads to insight into the causal relationship between mind and body their impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and impersonality that leads to Nibbana. This meditation center should be a quiet place where yogis develop faith and generosity, living in harmony, and mental development. Some of what we hear in this admonition is easy to understand and is quite commonsensical and some of it might need a little explanation. But this essentially is the, the, the teachings of the Buddha to uh, develop the mind, avoid evil, do good and develop the mind. And so Mahasi Sayadaw acknowledges that it is through practicing generosity that one really uh, plants seeds of happiness in your own mind because 
to, to, to give is a source of happiness and to remember your acts of giving is a source of happiness. We'll speak more about all of these practices uh, throughout the retreat. Living in harmony is something that we want to practice here by undertaking the precepts not to harm by killing, not to harm by stealing or taking what's not offered, not to harm by uh, sexual misconduct, which in the context of this retreat is to um, contain your own sexual energy and not to act out your sexual energy. To speak the truth or to speak in a wholesome way when we have the opportunity here or in the context of this retreat to uh, speak about practice only to really limit your conversations to that which supports practice, asking and, an and answering questions, uh, speaking about your experience, uh, or spe seeking clarification of the teachings. And talk other than that is kind of outside of uh, Dharma uh, perspective, and it just leads to more distraction in the mind. So if we undertake the practice of living in harmony, we can benefit from the giving and the generosity of all of the staff here and all of the donors that have made this place available uh, for us to use. When Mahasi Sayadaw says that living in harmony is a real refuge, it protects the heart from acting out in a way that causes harm, and acting out in a way that causes harm, causes harm not only to others, but to oneself. And so living in harmony is a refuge uh, and a protection. And when he says that it frees you from rebirth in the lower worlds, we can understand that as it keeps the mind from uh, being tormented as if in a lower realm instead of living in a very angry, uh, insatiably desirable, or a very brutal mind state, then living in harmony lifts the mind to a little more brightness, really. Avoid evil is to avoid acting out uh, the defilements, the mental defilements of greed, aversion, and delusion. To do good is to course, practice generosity, develop the mind. And to purify your mind is both to purify the mind of defilements temporarily, but it's also to purify your understanding uh, to free it from the delusions and the confusions which we have uh, kind of embedded in the mind. Then, very practically, uh, Mahasi Sayadaw says, let there be only a few things that you attend to. When you come on a retreat like this, there is very few things to attend to. Really, just get up, do your practice, eat moderately, go to bed. Some days you may have to fill your water bottle and, and do your yogi chore. And that's about all that you really have to do. But you'll see that the mind has a way of making a big deal out of very little to do. 
So watch as the mind proliferates the uh, tendency to create a to-do list or a must-do list, whether it's while here or soon after retreat. It's very hard to, to, to let go of all of the ideas of things we could do. But as Mahasi Sayadaw encourages, uh, if you're able to attend to only a few things, it will contribute to good dhamma. Good dhamma means that uh, essentially the mind is at ease, content, and happy from the most very gross forms of contentment and ease and happiness to the very subtlest forms of uh, ease and uh, that comes from progressive realization of uh, the truth. Let there be only a few words that you say. Again, this, in the context of this retreat, it's to maintain noble silence or speak only that which supports practice. And let there be only a few hours that you spend sleeping. Uh, there's a schedule posted and you can sleep all you want between going to bed and waking up. Or, as, as, as our teacher Upandita used to say in the monastery where we were practicing, you can sleep all you want between 11 and 3. <laughs> we were allowed four hours of sleep in that monastery. But you have a little more here. You're lucky. But sleeping is not the path to happiness. We do need to sleep. We do need to get some relief. We need to recharge our batteries. But too much sleep also dulls the mind. So be careful about overindulging in sleep. Love solitude. Well, just being here in the seclusion of this place is quite solitudinous. We're quite away from uh, all of the uh, distractions, uh, obligations, responsibilities, news, so I would ask you to support your own solitude and to support the solitude of others by leaving your cell phones and your Twitters and your glitters and your other things turned off in your car, locked, and give us the key. <laughs> How's that? Or as much of that as you can do, as, you, as much of it as you can bear. Be docile. You know, it may not be in our conditioning to be docile. Huh? We're, we're, we live in a pretty uh, aggressive, uh, fast-paced, uh, get-what-you-want uh, society, and that's our conditioning. And even here on retreat, when there's nothing to get and nothing to do, and uh, no, no, no ambition necessary, uh, the conditioning is still there. So if you see yourself acting out undocilely, recognize that. And, and recognize that it's uh, being docile or docility is the condition for good dhammas. And then seek good friends. I think we're all here for a common purpose, which is to... Uh, Well, calm down, open up, understand, let go, 
and be happier. And uh, however we understand that possibility, I think there's a, a uniformity of uh, aspiration that we all bring here, that there's some interest in uh, looking a little more deeply beneath the surface of the activity of our life to really touch something that we all know is there, but we lose sight of so often in our everyday life. And so, among good friends, we can know that we're safe and that we are all on a, a similar trajectory. So if you have the opportunity to, or as you have the opportunity to uh, see others, hear others, uh, or internally comment on others, also understand they're here for the same purpose that you are. Then Mahasi Sayadaw goes on to mention the practice that we'll be doing when he says, constant mindfulness leads to insight into the causal relationship between mind and body. Constant mindfulness. Uh, this is what we'll be trying to do, is to develop a continuity to awareness. Uh, a recognition or a mindful recognition of what is going on in every moment of our waking time whether it's in formal sitting, formal walking, or the general activities of eating, bathing, getting from here to there, doing your yogi job, listening to talks. The more continuity to awareness, to your mindfulness, the greater the concentration or the collectedness of the mind and the greater the understanding, the greater the realization. It is totally dependent on the continuity of awareness. And so whatever it is you find that seems more important than being aware, it isn't. It's just moment to moment awareness and the more continuity there is, the more uh, beneficial result of good dhammas there will be. Let me just add that in another place, Mahasi Sayadaw acknowledges that in the beginning of a retreat, it is not possible to be continuously mindful. Not possible. And so, while we are trying to be continually mindful, it is not possible. And so we have to deal with the inevitable uh, frustration or disappointment or sense of failing. And this is normal. This is to be expected. Don't take it personally. This is just the way it is for the mind that is not yet aware, not yet continuously aware. But you can also see, and most of you know from your prior retreat experiences, that even after a day or two of practice, you can see the mind calms down, you become more aware, more continuously aware, and you begin to see things a little more subtly, you begin to feel things a little more sensitively, you begin to glimpse intuitively what is going on. And so, not to be too demanding of your practice, but to know that even in a couple of days you'll begin to see the results of the effort to uh, sustain the continuity of awareness. It will happen.
And what is it that we are constantly mindful of is the relationship between the mind and the body. It's really paying attention to what's going on in the mind and paying attention to what's going on in the body. As the body moves, as the body sits still, as the body feels tired, as the mind is energized or tired or restless or anxious or fretful or interested or not, this is what we're watching. The mind and the body are in continual dialogue with one another. And whatever the mind is saying or whatever the body is doing, they're, they're reflecting off of each other. Pay attention to that. Just notice, really, what the body is feeling. Notice what the mind is doing or saying. And in time, we begin to understand the causal relationship, how the mind conditions the body, how the body conditions the mind. And the uh, just the unfoldingness of the conditioning of mind and body. This is the work of awareness. This is really the task of the effort of our mindfulness is to really watch, to really observe how the mind and body are unfolding moment to moment. And in that, we will come to recognize what are known as the three characteristics. That all of these experiences of mind and body are impermanent. That all of these experiences of mind and body are unsatisfactory, they're unstable, they're, they're painful, they're, 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 they, they leave us vulnerable. And they are impersonal, they, they just happen due to causes and conditions outside of our control. They're not they're not experiences. We can't control the body. We can't control the mind as we wish at all times. We will see this. This is a fact. And as we come to deeply understand these three characteristics, their impermanence, their unsatisfactoriness, their uncontrollability or impersonality, well, then we really deepen uh, knowledge of the way things are, not only for us, but for all of nature. These understandings, deeply understanding these three characteristics, leads to the realization of Nibbana. Deeply understanding these three characteristics of all phenomena leads to the realization of Nibbana. Nibbana is simply the end of suffering the subtlest forms and the grossest forms. <clears throat> In order to support this constant mindfulness practice, this meditation center should be a quiet place. So as much as possible, mm -hmm. keeping your activity, your mind and your, your speech quiet. Mm -hmm. And through your practice, to develop faith or confidence in the teachings, confidence in your own effort, and confidence in your own understanding, developing faith in that, and practicing generosity through your uh, gift of being here to practice, but also in support of the center, and by living in harmony according to the precepts we will all 
over the course of the week, develop the mind, both through calming the mind and through developing understanding. That's it. So much of our life and so much of the conditioning of our life pulls us in another direction. And it doesn't naturally incline the conditioning of our culture, of our families, of our education, of our careers, does not naturally incline this way. And so our effort in being here is to and will reveal our conditioning. We will see all of the tendencies of mind, the habits of mind, the assumptions of mind, the desires of mind that tend to proliferate and to take us away from the direction that this admonition is pointing. And if this admonition is pointing to the realization of good dhammas, then moving away from this admonition, inclining the mind away from these suggestions, is not going to lead to good dhammas. I think we know that in some deep places in our own experience, in our own mind, and yet the momentum of our life is so strong, is so conditioned, and is so intimately and intricately supported by the rest of society that it is not easy to individually incline our minds in another direction. And so we gather in small groups like this for short periods of time to practice together uh, in this way. So as much as possible, please uh, recognize the uh, opportunity that we have here to uh, step out of the momentum of our conditioning and to aspire to realize uh, good dhammas with the support of this community of friends and the simplicity of a lifestyle that we have the opportunity of living here. It's a temporary uh, set of conditions. For us, it's a week, there's seven days. But we should not uh, underestimate the power of seven days of sincere practice. We can see a lot. And it is the understanding that we arrive at. It is the understandings that we see deeply in our own hearts that move us in our life, that condition us, that, that, that uh, influences the decisions we make in our life. And so really the understanding that we gather from our efforts here in seven days goes with us when we leave. 
the silence, the stillness, the, the group support, that all stays here. But when you go home, whatever you have understood about the heart, the mind, the body, their impermanence, their instability, their uncontrollability, whatever you've understood about that, that understanding goes with you and will influence how you understand the world, how you understand your situation, and the decisions you make to live uh, the way you do. And gradually, over days of practice, or weeks of practice, or years of years of practice, gradually we can really change the direction of the mind. We can change the momentum of the mind away from uh, unskillful dharmas towards more good dharmas. So that's why we're here. <laughs>